In the beginning, God created. These first five words in the Bible are stunning and worth contemplating. What are the implications of God existing, of God creating? What can we learn about the nature of God and the nature of His creation? Last week was a broad overview of the Bible message in a nutshell. Today, we will look more closely at the first theme Tori talked about, the creation of matter. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the Church, using the resources of the Kingdom of God. Here is Tori Bjorkland, President of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship in Part 2 of the Bible Message in a Nutshell, The Creation of Matter. A few weeks back, I gave an overview presentation of my understanding of the basic gospel message. And now I want to unpack some of that. So I'd like to um, start off, I think I'd actually like to start off with a, one more prayer. So we just got done praying, but we didn't pray for this. So just want to let God do the teaching. God, I want to acknowledge that if you're not going to show up, we may as well all stay home. But certainly from a teaching perspective, I need, I need you, and we need you, and we need your, the clarity of your spirit um, to guide us into truth, and we just trust that you will do that. And ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. What I want to do today is start off in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and somebody have somebody just read that for us. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And, you know, generally, if you're starting at the basic Bible message, you would start in Genesis 1-1, but this is just a review of the same thing. Who's going to read that? Okay, Tasha, go ahead. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay. So, the first thing that I said in my presentation is that before matter, there was a substantial reality. And I chose that word carefully, substantial. If you look it up in the dictionary, one of the definitions is real and tangible. We'll come back to that, but that's what that word means. We'll talk about that real and tangible here in a minute. I said in my first opening statement, before this world existed, before any matter came to be, there was a reality with substance, but without matter. This reality was spiritual in substance and did not depend on a material universe to be real. So there's a couple of assertions here that I just want to point out. So what I want to do is unpack some of the implications, the things that I am implying and hopefully reveal maybe some of the things that you are inferring, and we can remove the incorrect inferences. What I mean by incorrect is you actually might be right, and I might be wrong, but it's not what I mean when I say it. So we'll try to get all in sync on this. So there's a couple of assertions here that I want to point out. First of all, the material universe is not all that exists. And that's obvious in this group, but not obvious in the world around us. Reality, reality is that which really exists, 
it's not limited to the physical or the material. So that's the assertion is that it's not all that exists, the material universe. There is also a spiritual reality. This makes God, angels, and our non-material self substantial. This reality, this reality that exists makes God, angels, and our non-material self substantial. Substantial meaning real and tangible. Now, oftentimes we think of, in our language, we define things on the basis of the material only. And so we think of something as being tangible as being subject to the five senses. But there is as much reality that is not subject to the five senses as, and maybe more so, than that which is. This is my main assertion here. The material universe is not all that exists. The second part of it is the material universe is dependent on the spiritual reality, not the other way around. Why is that important? The reason that is important is because when people want to explore the possibility of a reality other than this physical world, using physical observation is not the best way to determine that reality. When physical inquiry attempts to discover spiritual reality, it will fail due to the dependency relationship. The dependency relationship meaning that if you're going to look for spiritual reality, you don't use physical reality as your measuring device. However, if you look at spiritual reality, if you encounter spiritual reality, it should square with physical reality because of that dependency relationship. You can go that direction, but to try to go the opposite direction will not work. The spiritual reality will not be contained in physical reality. And so if you try to measure it, or you try to encounter it only on a physical basis, you can't get there. But you can inform the physical reality on the basis of spiritual reality. There's a dependency, and that dependency is one of the fact that spiritual reality existed without physical reality, but physical reality cannot exist without spiritual reality. So, my second paragraph was, this reality that existed without matter was God. And I said then, I'm using the past tense because I'm trying to be consistent with grammar, but the spiritual reality that does exist is still God. <laughs> but... That reality that existed prior to the existence of matter is God. All of reality was contained in him, and apart from him, nothing existed. That's what John chapter 1, verse 1 starts with, and verse 3 ends with this part of it. That everything that came into being came from that reality. So, let's talk about a little bit of the aspects or characteristics of this reality. This reality was unending, never ceasing, and uncontained. There were no limits to this reality. This reality was not impersonal, but personal existence without limitations. So if you remove physical reality, you say that there was a 
if I could say it this way, a point in time when physical reality did not exist, when God was all that was, then what you end up saying is that all reality at that time was unbodily, immaterial, unlimited, personal power. God was and still is a self-sufficient, self-determining being existing totally from his own resources and was the only reality prior to creation. Everything else came from God. So let me unpack a few of the assertions. That covers a lot of ground. So the first thing I want to point out is that, as I said before, God existed before matter. There's a lot of verses. So I have verses for all of these things, but I, we can't take time to read every one of them. Is everybody okay with that one? Can we move past that? God existed before matter? Okay. There's actually some people that will have trouble with that one, but God was all that existed. John 1.3, we read that, right? God was all that existed, and everything else came from him through Jesus. The next thing, God is not material. Probably don't need to focus on that one very much, but that's an assertion here. I'm implying it in what I'm saying. God is not constrained by location. What does that mean? God is everywhere. I told you the little story about Kamala walking down the steps, telling me she was stepping on God. That's a three-year-old, or four, probably she was three. That's their logic. If God's everywhere, then he must be on the steps, so I'm stepping on God. We call this omnipresence. But what that means is that God is not located within a specific realm of physical or of space. You can't say, here's the boundaries or the limits of God's existence. And we did talk about, and we'll talk about it later when we go into it further, God choosing to allow himself to be excluded from people's kingdoms, right? And so we have to understand what that means and how it relates to God's omnipresence, the ability to be present everywhere. But he's not constrained by location. We good with that or should I read some verses? We're good, all right. God is not limited in personal power. Now, I think it's really important that we talk about personal power. Why is that? Well, because there is a lot of different views out there that are not inconsistent with the Bible that speak about God as if this is just a word for the universe or the power in the universe or the force. You remember the Star Wars, the force, use the force, Luke. There's a lot of concepts about a higher power. But what I want to point out is the Bible is very adamant that this higher power that I refer to as God, that the Bible refers to as God, that the Bible refers to in many other ways and many other names, is personal. Is personal. He is a person. In fact, three persons that are united as a single entity, if you will. 
Now, I'm not implying, by the way, in my statements earlier that about the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. I've just been saying that personal is an important aspect and something that I was implying when, when I said what I said about the reality of God being personal existence without limitations. So one of the places that we see that is in Jesus talking about how he loved the Father, and the Father loved him. This was personal interaction that was happening prior to the existence of matter. Okay, But God is not limited in personal power. So I don't want to get just hung up on the personal aspect of it, the power aspect of it. So we talk about God as being all-powerful. One of the terms that, that are used in the Bible is almighty, and you'll find that many times particularly in Revelation, the people in heaven are very aware of God's unlimited power. And they refer to it numerous times. And whenever they have something to say about how great he is, they go, he's the Almighty. So what is personal power as opposed to power power? <laughs> is there such a thing as non-personal power? So you might remember talking me talking about the principles of power and authority. Do you remember that conversation? Well, a monologue maybe, but let me tell you the six, I'm just going to read through the six points of that, and it'll maybe ring some bells for you, okay? All power belongs to a will. Now, you know, if I don't back all this up, you're going to, you'll have to excuse me because we don't have time, but I just want to remind you of these things. All power belongs to a will. What does that mean? It's personal power. All power belongs to will. All power originates with God. That is kind of saying the same thing. Therefore, any power that belongs to, i.e. is subject to, the will of other beings, power that we have, power that angels have, power that the devil has, has been given to those beings by God. Now, you know, when we think about really, really bad things that have happened in the world, it's hard to imagine something more tragic than the crucifixion of the Creator God in the form of Jesus Christ. And yet, when he was on trial, was it Pilate that said, don't you realize I've got the power to have you killed or to release you? And he said, yeah, I know that. I also know where you got it. Didn't he say that? He said, if, if you had not been given the power by my father, you, would, you wouldn't have it. I know where it came from. And guess what? He's pulling your strings. And we're getting our way, whether you like it or not. After that, he sought to release him, by the way. And guess what? How much power did he have? <laughs> he seemed rather powerless to release him. Okay. Therefore, any power that belongs to the will of other beings has been given to those beings by God. The power given to others by God is limited. I can't hardly say that without thinking about Aladdin. Remember the genie comes out of the bottle? And it's like, I can't remember the first part of the phrase, but you know, it's like, unlimited power! And teeny bitty itty living space, you know. 
even his power, not as a mythical character, he didn't really actually exist, but even when we think about characters with power, or think about the Greek gods and all of their thoughts, I mean, people attributed this power to them, it was always limited. That becomes an important thing when you start thinking about the concept of infinite power being distributed. It starts becoming interesting when you start thinking about how can you divide infinity and how much is left with God when he gives up some of his power to somebody else. Let's just say the sun got one one thousandth of the power that God had. If you take infinity and you divide it by that, what do you come up with? How much is left with God? Infinite. Power given by God is limited. The power displayed is therefore directly or indirectly a display of the will of God. When we start talking about the kingdoms, you'll realize that we have the opportunity to use what power is given to us to defy God. Imagine that. That God set up a system, and he said, here, have a little bit of power. Do with it as you will. You'll answer to me someday. But in the meantime, it's yours to use as you will. Does that mean I can defy eternal power? Infinite power? Yeah. I wish you wouldn't. The assertion, though, that I'm making is that God has unlimited power and he has given that power to other beings and has not lost any power as a result but has limited not only their power but also gave them authority to use it the last thing i wanted to, i was i put up, pointed out is all discernible energy is a display of the will of god that's an interesting thought you have to Think about that. You have to think about what energy is and how it relates to power. But So I did talk about that. I did talk about that God is not limited in personal power. And personal power means it is subject to a will. It can be used and directed at will. Okay? Well, I can't go through all of that outline, but I'm going to move on to the next one. Next uh, implication here to unpack. God is not subject to entropy. What is entropy? Nathan's pole barn is, is perfect evidence of entropy. Entropy is it's a reality that things in this physical world, it's a physical reality that things in this physical world tend towards disorder. They move away from order to disorder. And one way of saying that is things tend to wind down. It takes added energy to order things and keep them ordered. By the way, can you think of anything that the Bible says about how this world has not fallen apart yet, or this universe has not fallen apart yet? Nita. Colossians 1, 15-17 Why don't you read that for us? He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Have you read that before? In him all things hold together? How is that so? What does that mean? It means he is the source of the power that you observe that keeps atoms together. Keeps atom together too. And keeps molecules together. That's where that came from. So God is not subject to entropy, although this physical world is. Things tend to fall apart. Things tend to wind down. You want a good example of entropy? Are you a good example? Of, yeah, you a good example of entropy? Yeah. But God doesn't have that problem. He is not affected by time. Okay? He doesn't get older in the sense that we think of getting older. But here's one that's a little bit more controversial. God is subject to succession. So, by the way, if I read in my back of my Bible, I, I love this Bible. Charles Ryrie is a commentator on it. And I don't, I don't agree with him on many things. But I really enjoyed having this Bible over the years. He has in the, in the back of it uh, just a little summary of major doctrines. I just opened up Doctrine of Demons here, Doctrine of Satan. This is basically, you know, what does the Bible have to say about these things? And if you look at the doctrine of God in his, one of the things that he has in these attributes of God is eternity. And his definition of eternity, the meaning of eternity is free from succession of time. But I don't think that the Bible really holds that up so well. There's a few verses that you might be able to interpret as that. But I believe that, and what I'm implying here, is that God is subject to succession. But it doesn't affect him. In other words, as things go on and go by, he doesn't wind down and get older. And they don't have the effect that we think of. But that doesn't mean that he isn't subject to succession. Now, why would I say that? How did I imply that? Well, I'll start with the very first word I used. Before. You can't have before. If there isn't a succession. Before matter. Before the world. Before God created. Now, it's interesting that over the years, uh, physicists and other scientists have tried to figure out how old this universe is. And you know that kind of the, the current thinking today is it was likely infinite. You know why that's, that's now kind of one of the foremost theories? They couldn't answer any questions about where did it come from before it came. And they said, you know what? We have this thing here that we don't understand, and we're going to call it dark matter. It isn't matter. It seems to be related somehow to energy. And maybe that's where everything came from. And it's probably infinite. Okay. Yet we know, because the person who was there when it all started 
said, there was a point at which there was physical nothing, and now there is physical something. And my assertion here is that God experienced a time when there was no physical matter. There was no physical existence. And God conceived of and created physical existence. And everything from that point in time to now that is in this physical universe was created at that point and was not infinite. This universe was not infinite. The heavens and the earth were not infinite. Meaning that God had an experience without them, and God has an experience with them, and those were two unique experiences that came in a succession. Then God, you find that over and over and over in the account of creation. Then God. So, I believe God defined a specific point on an infinite continuum to create matter. That's Genesis 2.4. Then God. All of God's experiences are represented as sequential. That's an interesting thing. If you go through God's experiences, just look up how God experiences. And by the way, some of those experiences have nothing to do with us. Like, let us, what, create man. Well, we didn't exist yet. The result was us, but the let us do this is an experience that God had before we existed, before mankind existed, making that decision. An interesting thing here, if you say one of the problems that it raises when you say God is subject to succession is the issue of God's changeability. So I just said that God is not subject to entropy. This is a reality, and I think we can count on that. And I think the Bible backs that up. But does God ever change? Well, we have verses that says God doesn't change, right? But we also have verses that God says God does change. In what way, though, does he change? From a biblical perspective, as I read through the Bible and just taking it at face value, what I see is that God is subject to succession and that allows him to be able to react and interact with us on a basis of succession. If you repent, I'll repent. And we have that, seeing God multiple times throughout the Bible, we see God changing his mind. Some of the most prominent ones are, if you remember when the, God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they're at the mount, and Moses was up there getting the commandments and all of that kind of stuff. And the people said, gee, Moses has been up there for a long time. There's been some really interesting uh, displays of power on the top of that mountain. Maybe he didn't survive. And so let's let's come up with our own theory on how we got here. and." Let's revise history and say this God that we'll make an idol to uh, is the one that delivered us. 
and they made the golden calf and all of that. And remember, God got angry with them. He told Moses, you know what? I'm as tired of these guys. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you. Do you remember that when he said that? And Moses said, wait, wait a minute, God. Think about this for just a minute before you do that. What will the Egyptians say? They'll say, well, you took them out just to slaughter them. Not only that, remember, you made a promise to Abraham. You made a promise to Isaac. You made a promise to Jacob. And what will people think about your word if you do this thing? And it says, well, the Lord repented of the evil that he planned. David was another example. This is one of my favorites. When David took a census and God said, okay, you're in trouble now. And he gave him some options. Right? And he said, you can have pestilence, you can have famine, and you could be uh, run, you know, at the, the hands of your enemy for three years or something like that. There were these three options. And he said, Man, whatever it is that puts me in the hands of God, I'll take that. And God started to execute the judgment. The angel was at Jerusalem about to reach out his hand to destroy it. And God said, ah, that's enough. I can't, I can't take any more of this. And he ended it early. Remember Jesus talking to the disciples about how bad things were going to get? And then he said, you know, if the time hadn't been shortened, what does that mean? Seems like there was a plan, and God made a different plan. And so we see that throughout the Bible. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine examples here. And so my assertion here is that God is experiencing the reality as it exists. The reality prior to the existence of physical matter, the reality of the existence of physical matter, and he will experience the new physical matter that will I'll come back to that uh, another day. God is personal. We mentioned that. I'll leave that out. We already talked a little bit about that, but that's implied here with the concept of personal existence without limitations. And God is limited only by his own choices and reality. What do I mean by that? God chooses not to do certain things, even though he can. That's a limitation. When God chooses not to wipe somebody out, <laughs> he's limiting his power and the use of his power. So he's subject to his own limitations that he imposes on himself through his will. But he is also limited to reality. What does that mean? That means God cannot not exist. It's impossible for God not to exist. Dave says he can't have a square circle. I'll bet you he can make you think that circle is square. Reality is reality. And it's a reality, if it's a physical reality, God shows it to be that way. 
And that's the way it is. And it isn't some other way because he didn't choose it to be some other way. And based on that, he doesn't have it both ways. This is the nature of reality, and it's also the nature of God, because he is reality. And so his he is limited by reality, and he is limited by his choices. I, I need to leave it there. Uh, next time we will talk about man was created. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, visit our website at www.regenerationcenter.org.